because it will allow you to live this dream. Now, you've got to change the paradigm. You've got to change the way you think about some things, just like I had to do. Hi, this is Gig Coach Rockin' Rick, and I want to welcome you to the Solo Entertainer's Blueprint for Success. I play over 300 paid gigs every year with a unique combination of live guitar and vocals, DJ music blended in, and sing-along music on demand. I call this blended entertainment, a blended show. And that's one of the things that I talk about in detail in our podcast here. Now, maybe you are a musician who may be stuck with a band and you're going nowhere. Or you may have wondered if you could be a successful solo act. Well, I've got some information that can help you. Or maybe you are a solo performer playing and singing, all the time wondering why you're not getting anywhere, not why no one's paying much attention to you, or you're not making much money. Or maybe you're a karaoke singer who loves to go out and sing at the local karaoke bars and have often thought, I wonder if I could ditch my day job and make it as a singer as an entertainer or maybe you want to be a dj or you already are a dj who struggles in your market to get enough gigs because all of the other djs are so competitive and undercutting your price if any of this sounds familiar to you stay tuned because this podcast can help you with real world advice not some theory not some stuff that that was uh you know, read in a book somewhere, or I saw on YouTube, I've lived these things. I am living it. I've been doing this a long, long time, and I'm in a stage in my career where I'm I'm ready to give back some of this. I perform six and sometimes seven days and nights every week. And you, I've been doing that for many years, and you get to a point where, you know, I don't want to play that much anymore. I'd rather share some of my information and teach, and that's what this is all about. Now, the name of this this episode is All I Wanted to Do Was Play, and this is going to be a very deep um, subject that's going to, I hope, touch a nerve with some of you who are going to relate to this story, and there's a purpose to it. So please bear with me and stay with me throughout this. I need you to come on a journey with me that, that may sound familiar to some of you. It's a journey of how I became what most musicians dream of becoming, and that's a well-paid, full-time entertainer. Getting to play my instrument and sing and perform like I said, every night and several days a week. And there's a definite purpose to me telling you this true story because my goal is to help you do what I've done. Now, hearing this story could change your destiny and put you on a path you were created for. See, we all have a destiny in life, and unfortunately, I didn't get on my path until much later in my life than I should have. And these are the reasons I didn't get on that path. This is what I want to share with you. First of all, my my early life. I was given up for adoption as a child. I was, again, and this is, this is real personal stuff, but it's going to add up to, to the story and why it is what it is. I was born out of wedlock to a 16-year-old, I think she was 17 when she had me, Catholic schoolgirl given up for adoption. I was adopted by a family in a, a neighboring town. In those days, they would ship the girls off 
to have the baby in a, a private home, and it was all done quietly. It was in the Catholic Church. It was part of that whole uh, adoption thing, and it was a relatively easy thing to adopt children in those days if you were part of the Catholic Church. So I was given up uh, for adoption into an, a nice, upstanding family in the Catholic Church in this this other town, and it was a, a Texas town. You can probably tell from some of my accent, although I've lost some of that accent over the years, still have some Texas stuff. The the, uh, the family that adopted me, nice people, one problem, they they were successful. They were business owners. My mother came from a fairly well, well-to-do family in this small town, but they were both functional alcoholics. Mother and dad were business owners, and what I refer to, I call them country club alcoholics. They drank in that social circle, but they drank every night, every night, and drank to a point of being drunk and passing out. And this is what I remember from my earliest childhood on. They were not necessarily abusive. But however, when you're living with two alcoholics, it is an abusive environment. And they would get in fights with each other, and it would be horrible, horrible. As a, as a little kid living through that, and I, I had a sister who was not related to me. She was adopted also, and she was a year younger. So it was she and I in this home growing up. But I had no parental support growing up. Now, I had a nice home to live in, and we had material things because mother and dad owned a business. And so we had material things, but we didn't know we had any money because they never wanted us to realize that they could buy us things. They just didn't like to do that. So I grew up in a home, more importantly, that I did not have any parental um, encouragement to do things. So I picked up the guitar when I was young, and I had a talent for playing guitar and and. I liked it. I liked to play. I never got a lot of encouragement from my parents because they were so wrapped up in their alcoholism. That was their thing was was drinking every day. And their social, all their social life revolved around drinking um, with their friends at parties or what have you. But they weren't interested in anything that my my interests or my sister's interests. So I more or less raised myself. That's that's the point of what I'm making by saying that. And I did not have a good family of origin model to follow. That's that's a good therapeutic term there for you. So I, I kind of was behind the eight ball to start with. So I I grew up playing music. By the time I was 14, I was in a band. And I was literally making money, getting paid to play. And I continued with that throughout my my high school, my junior high, my high school days. And I raised myself more or less because mother and dad had a a separate home. that We had our home, then they had a lake house, a lake home. And they would go there every weekend. They would leave on Friday evening as soon as they closed the business. They would go to the lake and stay in the lake house because all of their friends were there, their drinking buddies, and they would stay there until Sunday night. So I was left alone basically with my car and my guitar and my amplifier so I could do whatever I wanted to do, and and I did. I was talented with the guitar. I just Sometimes when you're in an abusive situation like that with the alcohol, I didn't want to turn to drugs and alcohol because I think I saw what it did to my mother and dad. So I immersed myself in learning to play that guitar. And I would just sit in my room hours and hours and hours 
with a little cheap guitar my dad had bought me at a pawn shop, and I would practice and practice and practice. And my best friend down the street was into music too, so he would come, and um, we, I think his dad bought him a bass guitar. And so we had a little, our first little band we had started. But, but that's what I did. And as I grew up and stayed with music, you, you realize that music is very competitive and you learn to be jealous of other players who are better or you perceive them to be better than you or just anybody that's a competitor of you, yours. It's very, it's like a team sport. It's very competitive, especially when you're young. Now, as you get older, you grow out of that and you're, you're not so, um, you don't feel so defensive. In other words, when I was finally grew up and was out on the road playing six nights a week, we would look forward to another musician showing up and coming and sitting in for us. Here, take my guitar, play, play it, because it would mean we would get the set off. We would get to go and sit at the bar and have a drink and not have to play that set. And when you're playing, you know, six sets of nights, uh, six nights a week, you you want that. But I happen to be a singer besides being a guitarist, but I I never cared about singing. All I wanted to do was play the guitar, and there's a point to me telling you this. All I wanted to do was play the guitar. But I had to sing because I was the best singer in our school, the best male singer anyway. And the the choir director insisted that I always be in choir. So mother, of course, wanted me in choir, so I would do choir. But I didn't care about singing, but it, it paid off as my music career went on because I ended up being a vocalist in all of the bands I ever played in. I was either the lead vocalist or one of the feature vocalists because I could sing harmonies. I hear harmonies and am able to sing those. So I always had work as a vocalist, but again, I didn't care about that. So life goes on and here I am um, musician out on the road, but I had no idea what a healthy life really looked like because I'd never seen that modeled. So I ended up not being a very, imagine this, not being a very good um, chooser of a, a life partner, a marriage partner. Imagine that. I chose very poorly. And the the fact that I did that became part of the motivation to finally do what I should have been doing all along. Now, I'm giving you this backstory so you'll know I, I was quite traumatized coming into all this all right the other part of my my mother and dad who adopted me good people they were they really were good people when they were sober when they it became intoxicated they were their personality changed and they were different but i loved them nonetheless my mother died when i was 25 years old she had an aneurysm and dropped dead she actually lived a day or two in the hospital but but she died leaving my dad alone, and I ended up being my dad's caretaker for the next year and a half until my dad decided he was going to end his own life, and he shot himself, and and I found him. It was the next day, and he was still alive, but he shot himself in the head, and he was a vegetable. He lived in a terrible situation for about six months as, as a vegetable. Okay, so that shaped my early life. And I'm telling you all of this because this can help you if you'll listen. I came from this this traumatized thing. Now, during that time, I'd become a police officer. 
always wanted to be a cop. I just wanted to help people. So I was a cop, and I was playing still in bands, but just doing that part-time. But one of the guys on the police force, a good, a very good officer, his name was Eddie. Eddie was quite a talented guy. He was a good singer. He was a senior officer to me. He was there before I was, so I looked up to him. In fact, Eddie was one of my training officers. We didn't talk about music much. Uh, he, he was a good singer. He knew I played guitar. But Eddie decided he wanted to do a karaoke show. Now, this was in the 80s. This was in the mid-80s. Karaoke in those days was done on cassettes. So Eddie had all these cassettes and he would take these cassettes and go do karaoke shows. Now, of course, it was the big joke around the police station. Everyone laughed at, they called him the karaoke cop, Eddie, the karaoke cop. The thing was, Eddie had it going on. And here's why he would go to, Eddie had an outgoing personality and he was a natural showman. He would go and do these karaoke shows and he would have a little screen set up where people would go behind the screen and they would dress up as characters and then come out and sing karaoke songs. And the highlight of his show was he would take five people from the audience, five men generally, you know, and take them back here and they would put on the clothes like the village people. One of them would put on the hard hat. One of them would put on a cowboy vest and a cowboy hat and they would come out and sing YMCA. The place went, would go nuts. <laughs> and I went and saw Eddie do this and I thought this guy's really got it going on. It was the early, an early understanding of what can be done with an entertainer's mindset. Another friend of mine who I happened to play guitar for was a guy named Perry, P-E-R-R-Y. Perry was a great singer. In fact, he won several awards. I think he may have won a recording contract on something called the, the uh, Louisiana Hayride, which was a big country thing back, back in the day. Good singer, and he played guitar. Very talented guy. I ended up playing lead guitar in his band for several years. And enjoyed it. I see all I, again, all I ever wanted to do was play guitar. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Played in Perry's band. Well, one day I ran into Perry and I said, I wasn't playing in his band anymore. I think I'd gone on into my law enforcement to be a cop. And I said, Hey man, are you playing? He said, well, I'm, I'm DJing events now. And I thought, DJing? You're a player. You're a singer. And I said, why are you DJing? He said, oh, because it's what people want. And man, I stay booked all the time. And I get to take my guitar and sing some songs along with the DJ show. It's the perfect mix. Now, Eddie, uh, not Eddie, Perry told me this. This is in the early 90s. He was on to something. He was on to the blended show that I ended up, well, I'll just say perfecting over the years. I perfected this ability to blend live music, you playing the guitar and singing or playing the piano, or if you don't play guitar or piano, playing the congas, and I teach you how all of this works, and blending that with DJ songs and karaoke. And listen, that is a magic combination that has allowed me to live the dream that most entertainers want to dream, uh, want to live. But let's talk about the mindset that keeps you from getting to be able to do to do that. 
So let's talk fast forward. The year was 2005 and I had ended up in the career. I was a police officer and I liked martial arts and I started studying martial arts a long time ago before I was even a police officer. I got my black belt and decided I wanted to teach. So that was always a sideline income because you could teach part-time a couple of days or nights a week and I could be a police officer also. So that worked out well. Fast forward 2005, I had a a band, a successful show band. It's a really good band, a five-piece good vocals. I played lead guitar, but I had some track music that I had learned how to bring in. But I have such a story. I used to write jingles. So I knew how to write MIDI horn parts, trumpet parts, string parts. And so I added those in on a keyboard. So when we were playing, I could reproduce horn parts. I'm not going to get deep into that, but I had a band, a very successful band. This was 2005. Now, it just so happened that in that wonderful year of 2005, I was going through a horrible divorce because I had chosen so poorly my mate. I wasn't good at that. So it was a terrible divorce. At the same time, the band that I had that was really my only outlet for my stress. And that was my great recreation is going and playing with these guys. They decided they were going to mutiny and they were going to kick me out of the band. It was my band, rock and Rick and the Corvettes, but they decided they were going to go do their own band with a name that kind of sounded like rock and Rick and the Corvettes, but it was going to be the entire, my old band. And they were going to sell themselves and market it as, Hey, we used to be rock and Rick and the Corvettes. We're the same band. We're the Corvettes just without rock and Rick, but we call ourselves another name of a different car. It wasn't the Corvette. It was like the Corvairs. Okay. So you can imagine, and I'm just I'm at the end of it. I'm like at the bottom with all this. My band's left me. You know the old country song, my dog's gone and my horse died or whatever. I was at that. I was going through this terrible divorce. The band quit. And at that moment, I realized I will never be again at the mercy of a band that I have to depend on them to show up at a gig Everyone in the band to be there on time, sober, no issues, no drama. It was just way too much. It was a, it was a more of a babysitting service. At some point, it became that, and I realized I did not want to have to depend on that. So, I decided I'm just going to go solo. I had been looking at that. I'd been studying it. My epiphany came when I was on a cruise. I had done a Rockin' Rick and the Corvettes cruise. We had a fan club, a big fan club, and we went on a cruise with him. And I had to do five. It was a five-day cruise. I had to do like seven shows, seven Rockin' Rick shows during that cruise. But there was an entertainer on that ship in one of the lounges, and he was a solo guy. It changed my life. He was a guitar player like me, sang like me, and good. You know, he's a good guy. He wouldn't be on the ship if he wasn't good. But he was doing a totally solo show with, at the time, it was MIDI music. We didn't have the tracks now that, that we have. You had to have MIDI music. In other words, if you know what MIDI is, it's computer-generated, keyboard, makes horns, makes strings, whatever, makes bass parts, and you could trigger those MIDI 
tracks to be in sync with your live show. That gets complicated. Not going to talk much about that. I do in my course, in my Solo Entertainer's Blueprint course, I explain everything that you need to know to be able to do this. But anyway, he was a very successful solo entertainer. And we, I was immediately drawn to him and asked him a million questions and was down there every spare minute I had watching him play and just asking him about his equipment, his setup, his rig. Well, he had been with the cruise ship for 10 years. In fact, that was his 10th year, and he was retiring that year. He got a nice retirement and moved back to Las Vegas, where he was originally from, and continued doing his solo show. One of the, again, one of the best solo acts that I've ever seen. Great guys named Patrick Puffer. And if you ever get to see his show out in Vegas, I highly recommend it. I think he was at uh, House of Blues or Hard Rock. I think he was at the Hard Rock the last I checked. Anyway, all that said, I wanted, I just, determined in my great 2005 epiphany that I was going to go solo. And I got to that point. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life where you're just mad? You're just pretty kind of pissed off at everything. I said, I don't care. I said, screw it. But I didn't use the word screw. (laughs) I'm just going to go and play my guitar and go solo. And one of the reasons I did was because my lovely (laughs) ex-wife told me in one of her parting shots at me, you'll never make it solo. She was a singer in the band and really a good singer. Great, great. She played a classical piano. She was a wonderful, good singer. Just, just kind of, cause she could, she could be mean from time to time. And one of her things, she said, you'll never make it as a solo performer. You need me. And of course me and my uh, great wisdom, I said, I'll show you, I'll go do it. And really, that was that was a good motivation for me. And you have to use the adversities in your life to go and and do this. But one of the things I realized in in doing this was the um, the system I had built for entertainment worked. People liked the fact that I had these tracks and that I could perform along with them because it gave me the variety that I was soon to learn was absolutely critical to success to be able to play. See, the problem now with live music is this. It doesn't matter how good the band is uh, or how many members or players are on stage. They're going to be limited in their playlist. They're going to be limited. And that's the way bands are. You can't play songs you don't know unless you're at the upper, 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 upper level of musicianship, which some guys are, and they can do it, but not not many. When I was doing weddings, one of the things I, when I was, I'm still doing weddings. I do them nearly every weekend because they pay unbelievably well. And again, we'll talk about that in the Solo Entertainer's Blueprint for Success, my course that I, that I have. Uh, and again, I did the weddings, and I found out that they were hiring, besides a band, they would hire a DJ because the DJ had the variety and typically the MC skills, the ability to talk and make announcements, all right? You don't have to be a radio personality. You just have to have the ability to be comfortable talking to a crowd. Guess what? Most musicians know how to do that because they've been doing it. 
as long as they've been playing in front of people. So it occurred to me they are hiring a DJ along with live music, a band. Why don't I just combine DJ music with my solo performance? Eureka, <laughs> the moment, the magic moment. When I started that, I, I began it with just incorporating some line dances, like maybe the cha-cha slide or the electric slide, or there's a song called Copperhead Road that people love to line dance to, and whatever else was popular at the time, the crap, the dance floor would pack every time I did that. I thought, hmm, I'm on to something here. Then people would come up and re start requesting a song. They may say, hey, can you play Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye? I said, you know, I do. I think I have that in my computer because I love music. And obviously anyone who loves music is going to have a computer full of, guess what, music. So I reached over and I pulled up that song and played it. <sighs> Voila, dance floor magic. Then another person came up and said, hey, do you have that, that song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun? I said, I think I do. And if I don't, I have this thing called iTunes play that I can pull it up on. And okay. So you know where I'm, where I'm going with this. So as time went on, I realized the only way I was going to really be successful is giving the crowd, the audience, the customers, what they wanted. They want that consistent sound and variety. It doesn't matter how good you are as a solo guitarist. I'm a really good guitarist. Doesn't matter how great you sing. If you sing with a, an acoustic guitar, every song is going to sound the same. Trust me. Don't care what it is. If it's just you and an acoustic guitar, there's going to be very little variation between songs. Now, if you happen to be a recording artist who has hit records on the radio, you can get away with that. People are happy to hear you sit on a stool and play your acoustic guitar because they're familiar with the hit songs on the radio. Kind of a cool thing to hear it that way. But if you just think that you can sit and play and sing, forget it. Now, if you have track music and you're a great singer, man, you can write your own ticket because you can take those lush, rich-sounding tracks and sing live with them and the audience will literally melt in your hand. This is not theory. I live this. I do this. And there are far better singers than I am. And I can sing with these tracks and it can make just about anyone sound really good. So the thing I wanted you to, to do is to try to break out of the paradigm of thinking, oh, I can't, I can't perform with tracks because I'm a, I'm a real musician. Let me tell you, one of the things that I'll hear a lot of times when musicians are saying that, uh, you know, I can't, I can't do that. Playing, they'll say playing with tracks is not really playing music. Well, here's the answer to that. Of course, it's playing music. Just because you don't have other live bodies on stage with you in the form of a band doesn't mean you're not playing music. You are playing music. Turn off the track, you're still playing. You're playing music. Getting to play my guitar every night with every track in the world that I want to play with is the most rewarding 
experience I could ever have in music, and you'll find the same thing. My guitar skills have gone exponentially. I play so much better today than I ever dreamed I could play because of working with these tracks, because they're consistent. They allow you not to have to carry the show and to work more on your individual playing skills rather than having to carry the whole song and the rhythm of the guitar. I'm a guitar instructor, a teacher, and I teach theory and I teach some deep stuff. I'm a good keyboard player. I'm a lot of different musical instruments. I, I play pretty well. And I know what it takes to get to be a good guitar player. And playing with tracks will do that for you. One of the other things that you'll hear is sometimes music. Well, I'll hear this a lot when I'm trying to talk about converting over to a track show versus a band. Musicians will say, it just seems so, quote unquote, karaoke to me. Okay, well, let, let's, let's go with that. Let's say it's karaoke. And your point is, well, it's karaoke. I don't want to do karaoke. Just like my friends, Perry, the singing DJ, and Eddie, the karaoke cop, they learned to give the customers what they wanted. And guess what? They stay booked while all the musician friends they had were sitting home on weekends talking about each other and talking about what a sellout Perry was for doing DJ work and laughing at Eddie the karaoke cop while they had all the gigs. So it gets down to this. You get to a point in your life where you don't care anymore what people think about you. You're just going to do what you're supposed to do. What I was supposed to do was be a full-time entertainer. I was born to play that guitar. Singing went along with it for me. But if I never could sing as long as I could play, that's all I ever wanted to do. Someone said something to me one time, and it really affected me. There, One of the guys who I looked up to was a professional performer named Vince Vance, and he has a band called Vince Vance and the Valiants. They had a hit song. They had a couple of hit songs, actually, but one of them was that Christmas classic, All I Want for Christmas is You. Look it up. You'll see Vince Vance. V, V-I-N-C-E, Vince Vance and the Valiants. Great song. I know Vince, um, and he, he, he doesn't do as much as he used to. He's semi-retired, but I don't think he would mind if I said this. This was back in, oh, God, mid-90s, late-90s, and we were out in Vegas, and I always looked up to Vince, and I had my band, Rockin' Rick and the Corvettes, and we would do some of the shows that Vince Vance and the Valiants, he had like an eight- or 12-piece show band with girls who would dress as cheerleaders, and it was a really cool show, but Vince was in the uh, $15,000 to $20,000 a night price range. My band was considerably lower. I was down in the $2,500 to $5,000 a night range. And some of you head, your eyes are popping out of your head. What? That, yeah, that's that's what the show band, in those days, show bands were getting paid. And they really, they still are. But they're, the gigs are just fewer and far between because DJs have taken over all those, those good gigs, as you probably know. So anyway, Vince Vance what told me, I was hanging out with him and, we were at the, a trade show, an international trade show where they hire. Um, you go there every year and all the acts go and you get booked at the fairs and festivals, which is big money, fairs and festivals. I know because I ended up at the State Fair of Texas five years in a row, you know, every day doing shows. It's a big deal. So Vince 
and I are walking and I'm telling him what I'm doing with uh, music and you know how how it's all going and I really look up to him he he's kind of a hero of mine and he, he's kind of a interesting guy I think he, I believe he's a genius I know he's a musical genius and he's kind of a business genius too He's the guy that has the hair that sticks up. He sprays it as a point. You'll see his video. Just look up All I Want for Christmas is You. You'll see Vince. Vince turned to me. We're walking in the middle of this um, big trade show in Vegas. He's with his manager. And his manager had just told me, and I'll, I'm not going to give the exact amount. I'm just going to say that year Vince had earned on the road more than a million dollars. More than a million. It was considerably more, but I'm just going to say more out on the road. And this is his manager telling me. It's not Vince. The manager's telling me straight up because we would talk business and and all of that. Vince was, again, he was in that $20,000 a, a show range, and he worked a lot. Vince turns to me, and he says, he looks right at me. I mean, could have heard a pin drop. He looked at me. He said, Rick. When are you going to stop playing around with this entertainment business and get serious? I, I, I went, what? He said, you're just pretending to be in this business, my friend. He said, it takes guts to step out of your comfort, your comfy little world and just get in it. He said, you've got the skills to do it, but you'll never do it unless you get honest with yourself. And then he turned and he walked away. And I'm standing there. It hit me like a dump truck. What did he just say? He was right. Vince was right. It took a few days for it to sink in. I was just pretending I was in the entertainment business. I had this band and I still had my day job. I was doing my day job. That was my comfy little existence. And I had my band and I had the luxury of being able to go out and play on the road because of my day job. I was the boss at the day job, so I could do it. But I was just flirting around the edges of success. And I was locked in a prison of self-doubt because of my childhood. And that's what I want to tell you. We sometimes get in a prison because of our childhood and how we were raised, in my case, the double alcoholics, nice people. I loved them. I think I know they loved me, but I never got, all I got was criticism. I don't think they meant it to be, but that's the way they were raised. That's the only way they knew to parent. You make kids better by criticizing them. If I, you know, was playing baseball on the little league baseball team and I got a home run, well, the response would be instead of way to go, it would be, you know, that's the only home run you've gotten all year. Don't you think you can get a little bit better than that? Get more than one? <laughs> Do you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So because of that way I was raised, I had self-limiting doubts. And I had to break through those. And it took that year of 2005, that horrible divorce, and my band quitting to get me to a point where I just, I just gave up. I waved the white flag and I didn't care. And I said, screw it, but I didn't use the word screw. Like I said, I want to help you at this point in your life to not have to go the long way like I did. This stuff works. I'm living proof of it. I'm not on here trying to talk you into something. I don't need you to buy things from me. I'm just going to be honest. I work 
I've got this gig thing so dialed in that I turn down work every week. I can do this until I'm in a nursing home. I'm just being blunt with you. Now, I started doing this in the 70s, so I've been doing it a long time. I mean, I didn't do it at this level. I was a kid back then doing it. But I don't, I'm not trying to talk you into you know, spending a bunch of money. I'm not a, a, a marketing guru, online funnels, all of that stuff. I'm going to put together a course that will help you, will help you. It will be worth 100 times whatever I charge for it if you'll just do what I tell you to do because it will allow you to live this dream. Now, you've got to change the paradigm. You've got to change the way you think about some things just like I had to do. But does anything I've said here touch a nerve with you? I pray that it does. You see, it's not easy pouring my heart and soul out like this. But like I said, at this stage of my life, I'm more successful than I ever dreamed I could be playing my guitar. That's all I wanted to do, and I'm getting to do it constantly. And I play banjo, too. That's another thing I, I like. I picked that up a few years ago, and I love playing banjo at my gigs. And I play mandolin. I love doing that. I actually play some ukulele, that which is fun to do. I don't tell many people that, but I do. I take it out at gigs. When I do, sometimes I play a lot of uh, retirement centers during the day. They love those instruments. But I, I told you all of that just so it may help somebody to break out and get serious. Forget about the whole, well, that's too karaoke or the tracks, because the people who are willing to do it are going to get your gigs. I, let me promise you, they are going to get your gigs. Now, I believe my success took so much longer than it should because I was in my own way. I had to get myself out of the way and let go of that belief that I wasn't good enough to be a solo act. I needed some people standing on stage with me. I needed to hide behind some other people because when it's just you up there, it's you and that microphone and your instrument if you play one, Maybe the buck stops with you, but you know what? You are good enough to do this. And I have case study after case study after case study of people who I can promise you are not that talented, but they're able to pull these things off because of the system and the way they have crafted and acted. That's what I want to help you do. I'm a person of, of faith. All right. And I, I pray that you are too, because it makes all of this worthwhile. In other words, why, what's the why to your life? Well, we have our family and people that we love. That's, that's part of it. But I believe there's a bigger calling than that. See, you were in something is in you that's not in the ever average person. If you're listening to this podcast and you've stayed this long to listen, you've got music in you. You have a burning desire to do this. I know that desire. It's in me too. See, all I ever wanted to do was play that guitar. And if you have that, that was put in you by your creator. That was, that, that was in you. Not everyone has that. But if you have that desire and that's what you want to do, I would say to you in the words of my friend Vince Vance, it's time to get serious. And I pray that you do. This is the Gig Coach Rockin' Rick. I hope something I've said here will spark something in you to go to that next level and break out of the mindsets that may have held you back. Check out my course, Solo Entertainer's Blueprint 
for success. It's going to be released in February of 2020. It's an updated version. I had another version out a few years ago, but I don't make that available any longer. I'm updating it with new stuff because lots of stuff's happened in the last few years. For more information about the training materials and other things available, go to thegigcoach.com. That's T-H-E-G-I-G-C-O-A-C-H.com. The Gig Coach.